You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? I hope everything's good in your neck of the woods. Intros have been a little long lately, so I'm going to try to keep this one condensed and short and sweet. But, uh, yeah, first things first, I want to give a big shout-out to my guy, Nick Veland, who runs Playback Engineering, who does the editing on this podcast. It has taken a huge, enormous load off my plate, which is a fairly full plate to begin with, um, and that really has helped an enormous amount. He's been doing this for quite some time now. I'm not even sure how many episodes he's done, but he's done a bunch of them. So if you have a podcast and you could use some editing work, I highly recommend hitting up Nick at Playback Engineering. You can find him on Instagram, and I'm telling you, he's a great guy, and he's also a member of the group, so you can find him in the Tone Mob Facebook group. But huge shout-out to Nick, because he's the man, and he makes my life a little bit easier. Okay, next thing is there's a new way to support the show. If you like buying gear, and I think I know that you probably do, if you go to ToneMob.com Sweetwater, that's right, you can see a bunch of gear that I have recommended, and you might want to pick some of that up. Or, if you simply use that link and do all your normal Sweetwater shopping, a little bit of that purchase will come back and help support the show. So that's ToneMob.com Sweetwater for that. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mr. Scott Gaylor, a member of the ToneMob Facebook group, a demo guy, a... Man, he's got a long story, so I'll let him tell it. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, a show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Scott Gaylor. What's going on, man? Hey, Blake. What's going on, brother? Yeah, we weren't talking for 10 minutes before this and then went, oh, we should record. We should probably record everything that we're saying right now. <laughs> it would be good content. So here we are. You know, and I'll add to this, and I always say this, but this is the difference between like the guitar builders and the pedal community. Like the pedal community is so cool. And I'm, you know, we all have the same friends. We we have the same mass of, of friends of of all these cats and like Joel wants to help Robert. Robert wants to help, you know, Yoshi. Yoshi wants to help Josh and like everybody's into it. Where like Gibson wants to sue Dean and Dean wants <laughs> like it's such a different vibe. And um it's just really funny like when you sit and talk when I, I can talk to any of the pedal dudes and it's like we're old friends from day one and like the guitar builders are all like, well why are you playing a Dean? Why aren't you playing my shit? It's just kind of a weird uh a <laughs> weird thing right yeah and i mean i think I, i'm coming to realize that or i've fully realized at this point that the pedal community in particular is just very unique uh in in it as an industry like there is almost no other industry that is as like friendly as the pedal community i don't i don't know of one there might be one but i don't know of one you know what i'll give you my 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 dime store analysis of that. And I actually, I'm going to name drop for a minute. So if you got, if you're at home, throw up some steel to it, but it's, I was talking with Paul and Joel. And for those who don't know, that's the heart and soul of Jace, of part of Chase Bliss and, and disaster designs and all that. And the difference is the guitar community is chasing old tones. Everybody wants the 59 Les Paul or, or whatever, sixties telly or, or whatever. The pedal builders and the pedal guys are chasing what's new and looking mm -hmm. forward and how do I put a, you know, how do I make this sound? How do I get this out of my head? How do I, there, it's not elite. Well, I'm, yeah, some of it is elitist, I guess, but it's not nearly as bad as if you don't play guitar X and you're not good enough where I could look at a pedal board and it could be all Joyo pedal or Behringer pedals. And if the dude sounds good, it's awesome. Do you know what I mean? It's a, just a different, right. it's a different vibe. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, it's cool. I'm glad that that's like the angle that I pursued. Otherwise I might've been like turned off from everything I, <laughs> from the get go. I'll be honest with you, man. Everybody's like, how come you haven't had a guitar endorsement the past seven years? It's like, cause I haven't had anybody I enjoyed hanging out with that I wanted to work with. Dean were the first guys that were actually fun. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like uh, we went out to a thing in Tampa for their, uh, they call it DOA Dean owners association where they, the, if you own a, a dean, you get to go to this party if you want to. And they, they put it on in a club, and 
it's like a big open jam for Dean owners. And they invited me and they actually gave me my black telly that I just got, which is amazing. And it was just a big party of people hanging out, eating food, talking about gear. And it was fun. And like when I would go to NAMS and I would talk to other companies about doing this or that, it was very like, well, here's what, here's what the contract looks like. And here's what you've got to do. And we need X amount of this and X amount of that. And Dean was like, cool. What two guitars do you want? You want these? All right, cool. Um, <laughs> it <was just> a, <laughs> and, and it played great. And like, these guys are my friends. It's just a different thing, man. And, and this industry is too small. I mean, come on, I have a picture of you on my phone as a cardboard cutout for the love of God. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, let, I mean, this is how small this industry is. And, and I, I think that we have this. Like, everybody rallied around and wanted to kill Joe Bonamassa because he talked shit about pedals, even though I think that quote got misinterpreted. But it's just a different thing, man, and I just love it. I mean, I, I'm sitting here on the floor in my studio because I, I gutted it yesterday and I'm rearranging it. To my left, and I'm not even exaggerating. You know those plastic bins you get at like Target or wherever that you put stuff in, like those big ones. Mm -hmm. I have twelve yeah. of those full of pedals. <laughs> I went. Oh, good. It's not just me. No, I, and I have more at where I rehearse. And I, I went through them last night, and I kind of felt stupid because I'm like looking through stuff, like, oh my god, I can't believe I have this. And I was geeking out, getting excited, like it was Christmas Day, and my wife's looking at me like, you've had that thing for you know, a hundred years or whatever. So mm -hmm. I'm just a big child with this. And I think these, these little magical boxes are, are amazing. Oh yeah. It's I, I'm the same way. Like, like, you know, stuff will show up sometimes and it's, it's like this old, I mean, my, my son is to the point where it's like, I bring a box in and it doesn't matter if it has a pedal in it or not. He's like, did you get a new pedal? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he just knows that that's probably what's in the box. And, my wife doesn't she's like how do you still get excited about this i'm like those are so fun it's so cool it's it's a new pedal there's nothing nothing more exciting than a new pedal day what are you talking about you know it's, it's funny well i'm lucky man my wife's an artist also she's a belly dancer and also a regular dancer tap ballet and all the i don't even know all the styles dude to be honest be like me asking her what kind of arpeggio i played i guess um she <laughs> So she gets, you know, I'll give you a great story. We're uh, Winter Nam. I get a text, um, you know, because Winter Nam for me is crazy. I, I run a booth. I demo at 16 places. I usually gig at night. So her and I just can't keep contact via text because pretty much when I go back to the room, I'm done. I'm out. And yeah. I get a text, hey, you need to go to this symbol place and get me Zills. She, she has, she, you know, belly dancer, they use Zills. So here I am like a moron trying to find this little bitty Zill dealer. In Symbol Land, and you've been to Symbol Land at Nam. It's oh, hell. Yeah. It, it's pure hell, especially for a guitar player because your high end is already shot. Then you add that extra high end, and it's just going nuts. And so I show up to this poor dude, and I just hand him my phone with her text. He hands me the things. I give him money, and I leave. It was one of the best transactions ever. And he, I could just tell from his look, like he understood that I had no idea what I was doing, or or why i wanted zills and he, <laughs> he's like this guy does not look like a belly dancer <laughs> no and, and he he showed me two and like you gotta you know the volume you can't talk it's 140 db and i i type on my phone which one's better he points i'm like fine give me that one and i was out <laughs> it was just one of those and, and on a funnier note, I ended up being late to another demo. But then when I told the dude, I was like, look, I was getting stuff for my wife, dude. It was like, totally cool. <laughs> it's just fun shit like that that makes this job still cool. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. Well, let's get into, you know, I we've known each other off and on, you know, through the years, through the uh, through the Internet primarily and the groups yep. and whatever. But I don't actually know what your story is and how you got to the point that you're at in your career. So maybe start from uh, when you picked up a guitar and go from there. Okay. So I'll give you, there's, there's two apexes, I guess, in my career for lack of a better term. I started playing at 10 years old, but before that I was a piano player, violin player, and a trumpet player. My mom had this thing, big family, seven kids. We all had to play an instrument. It wasn't optional. And we also had to play a sport. Like these weren't things that you <laughs> had a choice in. Mom was just very bent on those things. And um, 
So we all did. Everybody played a sport and everybody played an instrument. Um, my brother ended up really excelling at sports, got drafted by the Yankees, all that good stuff. Um, I was a good hockey player, good enough to get college stuff, but I, you know, I'm five, nine and change at my, on my best day, I'm 200 pounds. I'm not playing pro hockey. It's not, <laughs> no matter how, uh, how many people tried to tell me I was going to. So music was always my thing. And at 10, I finally talked her into letting me get my own guitar. And that was it. I was off to the races. I wouldn't put that thing down. And quick pivotal moment, right around 11, I heard eruption because my brother's best friend was driving me to BMX practice of all things. So if anybody even knows what BMX is anymore, not X game BMX, like shit you wrote, you raced on a track. <laughs> it was actual races. And, uh, he played me eruption and that was it. It was game over. And, um, uh, 16, I landed a gig in a band called union Jack on pure luck. Um, I was at a local show in Florida because we moved to Florida briefly, or my mom moved to Florida, and I moved with my mom. And I was running, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. I was helping out on the stage with, with, a, with a local crew stuff, and the, the guitar player's rig broke, and it was the band uh, Nate Palm Death. And, oh, okay. Okay, right? How weird is this? And I'm, again, I'm a 16-year-old. you got to understand, not only am I 16, but I'm a 16-year-old poser. I'm a glam metal kid. I've got big hair, black nails. I'm tough as balls from playing sports, so I'm not going to take any shit. But I look like a girl. I mean, let's let's, let's be honest. But I fit in with both scenes because the guys knew I loved music. They knew I wasn't. You know what I mean? Like it didn't. At that point, it didn't matter yet. It mattered later on, but there it didn't matter. And so I fixed the rig, and they said, "Oh man, we'll offer you a gig." Oh, not I did it wrong. It's not Napalm Death. It's Nuclear Assault. Because it was when Phil Liker was still in the band, the big tall dude that was in Anthrax for like ten minutes. Right, right. So they offered me a job, and I was like, "Mom, I'm going to go go with this band on the road and be a tech." And she's like, "What?" <laughs> and I, you know, I had enough credits to already graduate. And she's like, "All right, cool. If that's what you want to do, but be safe." I called my friends in New York, and they're like, "Oh, well, we're doing this thing, and we've got a manager, and you should just come play with us instead." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> so uh, I just. 16, just turning 17, packed up uh, a Mustang of all things and drove across to New York and joined Union Jack. And then uh, we became a really large regional act from on the East Coast and just toured the East Coast playing original music. We had uh, good management. And uh, if there was a big national band, we played with them, especially in the height of that. And we had a lot of we had a lot of hype. We just didn't have songs. We were kids. I mean, the oldest dude in the band was 18. So that led me to playing a band called Remington who had a deal with MCI. Um, and that I got fired from that very quickly. <laughs> oh with, yeah. Yeah. I got fired from that along with uh, their manager. The, the MCI deal, we went up to audio West, this big studio in Connecticut. And, um, it was, uh, it was interesting because first time I've ever been in that. I mean, I've been in tons of studios at that point, but that was like Whitney Houston recorded there. Fate's Warning, Dream Theater, um, a bunch of big pop artists. It was kind of like Arista's home studio in in the East. And I've never seen anything like this. I mean, the the drum room was bigger than any house I'd ever been in. And uh, I was brought in to replace the guy's name, who was Remington in the band. And oh, so, wow. Yeah, kind of weird, right? And um, so I re- rearranged and reworked a bunch of the guitar parts. I argued with the producer the whole time because I've had, this is going to sound like a brag, but I've had a great guitar sound since I was young. Cause I still actually have the same guitar head I've been using since I was 16. And he kept trying to, to squash it and make it a very MTV friendly sound. And I was arguing, arguing. And that's part of the reason I think I got fired. Cause I was just a pain in the ass. I wouldn't let them compromise the tone. And, um, we did the five songs and the people that were supposed to get the five songs hated it. And so the band fired myself and the manager and one other dude. And But it was worked out good because then I didn't owe any money <laughs> on the recording. <laughs> and, uh, right, because the way the deals were structured aren't really that favorable. I think maybe some of that's changing, but I'm sure that was oh, back in the no. day where people dude, just got hosed left we, and right. They bought us, so somebody bought us, I don't know who. I mean, I had 
this is going to sound terrible. So anybody who's listening to the Mob podcast, I'm not ashamed of my glam past. I have my photos up on my page. So if you want to go make fun of it, please knock yourself out. I'm good with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I can't, I've come to the fact that you can't hide it and run from it. So it's there, but they bought us snake skin and leather outfits. I can't make this up. So yeah. we all, we all had these different things. And so, you know, they paid for that. I had three full Randall stacks that they bought us that were, by the way, it sounded like garbage behind. Like if you saw any of our live gigs behind there was my boogie half stack, but that was in front all lit up and looked like it was plugged in. It was God awful. <laughs> and, um, I gave all that back. I got to keep a couple things. I got to keep my outfits and I got a little bit of money and I did took that money and did a four song demo, which is the demo that's on the Irish exit CD. Um, that mm-hmm. I actually, the thing I sent you yesterday, I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18, 19, somewhere around there when I made that. So I recorded that and tried to get gigs and okay. So here comes another name drop. I apologize for anybody. I was at John Sykes listening party. Um, John, of course, was in White Snake, had left White Snake, and just was putting out his first solo album. And some friends of mine who uh, were helping me out that were in the magazine business, they owned a magazine called Powerline, got me into the party. And um, it was amazing because it was all like MTV people and John Sykes and Ray Gillen and like all these cool people. Poor Ray, too, man. I bugged Ray all night. I was like, you got to get Jakey to come here. You got to get Jakey to come here. You know, this all this dude wanted to do was drink and, and hit on chicks. And here's this fucking rail thin glam kid just tugging at his coattails. Like, call Jakey. Call Jakey for me, man. Come on. You know, like, it was just terrible. <laughs> but I ended up striking up a pretty good friendship with Sykes. We put, oh, God, we put away two bottles of cognac. It was terrible. I have never been so hungover in my life. But he put me in contact with some other guys, and I ended up landing the gig in Scrooge. Um, Scrooge rolled into Kid Havoc and then Kid Havoc put out a same thing we became a huge regional act again when when regional acts were still a thing um, you know now that's not right they're not really a thing anymore like not really no I mean Kid Havoc could go somewhere and put 1800 people into a club now nobody can do that it's not how it works it's a but you did it because we grinded we played six nights a week we traveled in a van Actually, for a little while, we traveled in a station wagon, and you just grinded it out, and you, you know, you'd, you'd play Tampa to 10 people. Next time you played it to 50 people. Next time you played it to 200 people. And then somebody would call you up to say, hey, we got a national coming in. They're not drawing tickets. You want to take the slot? Yeah, and you just build it. The, those days are gone, man. And I, I feel bad for the kids who don't get to do that because that's how you get to become great at your instrument because nothing is – more challenging than playing to bar staff and a couple of stragglers who are regulars who don't that you're there <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know that builds character and kid out this is a great kid alex sorry we're I, I i never get the name of the town right so i'm not even gonna try to bother so we're on a we're coming back from atlanta and that that particular atlanta trip it was a trip we made a lot, and it was, and it, but it was terrible. That that gig, that, that run of gigs didn't go well. We weren't getting along. Typical, you know, typical band BS stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And we stopped to play at this one place, and it's like a duplex bar. Half the bar is a rock club, half the bar is a country club. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Like it's not like straight out of a movie. Right. And our name, of course, Spinal Tap Moment. Our name's wrong on the marquee, you know. And it's, <laughs> and it's not even like a marquee. It's like that Burger King, you know, they stick up the letters on the sign thing. Like yeah, totally. It, it's not even – and granted, we spelled our name incorrectly, but it wasn't like it wasn't on every piece of paper and contract we signed. So everything's spelled wrong, whatever, no big deal. We get in, the guy's like, whatever you guys do, do not go in the country club. They don't like guys. Like, you're going to get – your butt kicked. And I was like, okay, I like to fight, but I also like to get paid. So we're good. Mm-hmm. We, pl- we literally do sound check. We come back, we got a hotel across the street. We come back. There's nobody in the club. Uh, there's two people that are just like regular hang around people. And then there's the wait staff and the wait staff, by the way, is in bikinis, <laughs> which I have no idea why. Be- and, because of the, the era, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, but I mean, there's 
I can't even, there's nobody there. And so we're looking at each other and we prided ourselves on always putting on a full show no matter what. So we, we do, we, you know, we do the whole Monty. Um, but we decided that night to go without wireless. This is to save the money on nine volts. Cause we figured we weren't going to get paid or get paid very little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were being thrifty singer trips over my, over my guitar cable falls onto the lighted, the floor was lit up, so it lit up like disco square. So when you step on a square, it would light up. Okay, wow, this place sounds so, wild. It was, it, oh yeah, dude, it was just, it was just crazy. So that we get done, we get paid, uh, we end up going back to the hotel. We get some food at Taco Bell, and we have more people hanging with us at the hotel than we did at the gig. It's so weird. But it was, but that's the stuff that I think kids or musicians or people don't get to do anymore. Like that I'll never be afraid to go play in front of Steve Vai like I did two names ago or Chris Poland like I just did recently or any of these guys because I did stuff like that. I'm not I'm not nervous. I'm not afraid because I, I've been through all these crazy situations where I don't think the bedroom player and I'm not against the bedroom player. I think the bedroom players are paramount to what we do. But when they go out and the first time they go to play at something man, that's going to be a whole different world where you don't get to stop the tape and start over or edit your take or, you know, there's nothing that's going to save you on any of that. You've just got to have those experiences. Well, yeah, I mean, I am a glorified bedroom player at best. And, like, I don't, I I do not want to play in front of anyone. Like, even setting up a live stream, I'm like, "Ah, oh boy, here we go. You know, and that is no big deal, really, but I get all sweaty. (laughs) <laughs> like I don't I don't know what I'm doing I, and uh, it's like it, it is it's those experiences it's uh, exercising that muscle because it's a totally different thing no man and, and I think I'm I, I mean let's face it I'm old in this industry and I, I think the big reason I still work is because I just show up and I, I get the job done and I, I credit all of that to all these I mean I have so many gig stories you don't have enough we don't have enough time to, <laughs> to talk about them, but I mean, but that's the stuff that really builds character. And, and when I talk to the younger bands, like a, a friend of mine, son is in a band, they moved to Philadelphia and they're really trying hard and he'll call me up, they'll ask me stuff. And I'm like, man, you just, you got to do it. You just have to, you know what? The van's going to break down. The, the gig's going to suck. There's going to be times that you do not get paid, but this separates the group of people that want to do this and the people who don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, seriously, out of all the guys I played with, I'm, there's like three of us still left trying to slug it out. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I pay the bills with it, but it's a tough thing to do. Well, I mean, I can vouch for that, like the wanting to do it versus not, because I remember when I was like 15 and thinking, man, being in a touring band would be the coolest thing in the world. I can't believe it, how awesome that would be. And as I got just a little bit older, maybe even like a year older, I just reading magazines and hearing crazy stories. It was like, I was like, Oh no, that's not the life for this guy at all. <laughs> like, never mind. I'm going to go do something else and just do this music thing on the side. Like I, I just knew, I knew right then I was like, I, I don't actually want to do that. You know what I mean? It's a, it, it's a, a weird moment of self-realization, I guess for how much I love music. I do love it, but I, I guess I don't love it enough to like be in the slogs like you were. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because we could have it ended in 95, I think. I don't know, 96. And then our record got bought. So we had a deal that we signed ages and ages and ages ago, but nothing came of. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. We had a bad deal oh. <laughs> that nothing came of. And um, long story short, somebody bought. Our demos were selling on eBay for like 300 bucks, which were just stupid. And it used to infuriate me because all anybody, all you had to do would email me and I would have sent you anything you wanted. Right. I, didn't <laughs> I just wanted people to hear the music. But they were selling pretty crazy. And we only did the, the cassette demo we did. We sold like 17,000 copies altogether, mm-hmm. which out of the trunk of your car at gigs is pretty cool. But, you know, it's still, it's still a cassette demo. And which is now back in vogue, but then, you know, then guys who were doing CDs and we couldn't afford CDs. So the guy bought, bought one of those on eBay, liked it, tracked us, tracked me down. Cause I was easy to find and through MySpace of all things and said, Hey, I'm going to buy the, your old deal. 
let's do something. So we remastered it. We put out the we put out the record called Roll the Dice, which is two different demo recordings of five songs and a live guitar solo from two track from the board. Um, and we cobbled it together and it sounded good. I had to do a lot of dancing to get different rights because there's three different bass players on there, two two different bass players and me two different drummers, a different engineer. Like I had to make sure I had everybody's permission. So we got that settled. Um, and then we did a bunch of shows with Poison, Rat, Veins of Jenna, and then Cinderella, then Dokken, then Extreme, then King's X, and I'm missing somebody. We just went out with if, any of the old, old eighties hair bands we went out with at one point. Mm-hmm. And it was great, but that's where the realization came with my guys that I used to play with. Don't want to do this anymore. Not on that level. Because those are great sounding gigs, and they are, because you're playing to a ton of people. They're, they're your, your childhood dream, but you're not making any money. Right. And the Poison Tour, we're, we're headlining the side stage, so we're playing outside on the side stage at 5 p.m., which in the we did the, the what we call the Florida run, or what they call the tip of the penis run because of the shape of the state. And, I mean, you're playing in dead heat. 110 degrees, no atmosphere, no lighting, you know, because you're, you're in broad daylight, you're naked. It's a half hour to 40 minute set. And, you know, you think about it, you're playing a place that usually holds 40,000 people and you're probably playing to 3,000 or 4,000, mm-hmm. which is still incredibly cool. But when you look at it in terms of the mass of the hole behind it, <laughs> right? You know, you know they are not there for you. Like it's it's pretty clear, you know, that they're there to see the headliner, and it's still. I mean, it's a blast. And one of the coolest things was playing with Extreme and getting to play through Nuno's rig and Talk Gear. And here's a dude at the time playing through a GT8, by the way. Oh yeah. So for all you tone purists, so he had a GT8, a Boss OC2, and a Boss Tuner. That was it. And he's going through. He was running four cable method before it was being cool and called four cable method. <laughs> and it was going into uh, a prototype Bruce Egnator Randall head. And um, I got to play it a bunch because we would swap guitars. And, and he's a really good dude, by the way. And it sounded amazing. And all his dirt was coming from the GT8. So there you go. Interesting. And by the way, we tried, you know, I do a lot of stuff with Boss. We tried to give Nino a GT1000. He likes his GT8. Well, hey, he won't change it. It, it seems to work yep. for him, all right. Oh yeah, he did change that. We got him into the the OC three versus the OC two because it's polyphonic and the, the two isn't polyphonic. Mm-hmm. But he he is uh, he, he does not switch gears, man. It's pretty funny. It's a that's it, just it's just wild to hear about like a lot of this stuff too because it kind of confirms some suspicions of mine, or not really suspicions, but like. I guess this realizations is I've because I've gotten fortunate to get to go, you know, backstage with, you know, some decent, decently successful bands that I never thought I would get to do, by the way, like to get to go backstage and like interview these people and hang out with them. And, you know, this the scene and the vibe is very much changed. Like it's like it's very mellow and everyone's just kind of chilling. Like I've, I'm sure there are still some bands that really tie one on and go hard, but I don't think that that is as common as what it used to be at all. Oh, no. Like I said, I think it was 2007 is when we went back out with all those bands, and no, all that, that whole thing is done. That's over. Um, and I mean long over. It's it's like backstage is, is a buffet of some sort, and a few people chilling, the paid meet and greet. Like when we did the Cinderella thing, all right, I'll spill a little tea. Why not? Cinderella did not get along with each other. They hated each other. Okay. <laughs> they, did not, they did not like each other. But let's just be clear. There was the three guys in the band and Tom, and they just didn't get along. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every band needs an alpha. Every band needs a leader. And Tom's a leader. They didn't like him. But Tom owned everything. He wrote everything, and he got him the deal. So too bad. That's just how it works. And there was a lot of screaming matches on that trip. And I'm pretty neutral, dude, man. I, I, I try to avoid drama as much as humanly possible. It's just not, not my DNA. And, um, one paid meet and greet, we got a late sound check. So I'm sound checking in the middle of the, of the meet and greet. And Tom sends this guy over like, Hey dude, can you chill out for a minute? I'm fine. The rest of the band screaming at me where Tom's like really chill. Like, dude, just, just stop for a minute. Like, okay. And 
like they had, you got to understand we're playing 2000 cap max rooms. It's not like we're playing any place big. And I shouldn't say that. That sounds terrible. But for a band of that level, guys who sold 20, 30 million records, they should be playing rooms bigger than 2000 caps. Right. And it was also John Karabi was with us. And John obviously was a Motley crew and all that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're nobody on this tour. Nobody knows who we are. Like nobody cares. And the, the avenue of it was just so different. There was nothing. There was no partying whatsoever. Separate buses, like Tom had his own thing. The rest of the band had their thing. But the interesting thing, I'll go. I'll switch gears and go to gear. Tom had his real fifty nines and sixties, and had his real guitars out with him. Oh wow! So I got to play all his vintage gear. I walked up and I'm just staring at it and Tom and his tech came up one day and they're like, dude, what are you doing? And I thought I was like cold busted. Like I shouldn't have been there. I'm forgetting that I have the same path everybody else has and I'm allowed there. (laughs) But the little kid, but the the little kid in me felt like I got busted. I was like, dude, I'm just checking it out, man. It's just stellar stuff. He goes, grab, play whatever you want. So I played everything in in the, in the boat. You know, he had a, he had a guitar boat and I played everything and he had the vintage marshals with the Variac and, it was just cool stuff, and it was such a, a weird thing because at the time, we just did some stuff with King's X, and Ty from King's X had, you know, this still live in this refrigerator rack from the, from the 80s, but with a Behringer foot controller, which was weird, and but his tone was also monstrous, and it's just those cool things, man. You get to go see, but again, roll it back, yeah, the atmosphere of what you saw on, on MTV and the old school stuff, that's way gone. Yeah. Just done. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like anybody really. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think anybody really misses it all that much. <laughs> I think the chillness no. is probably better for everyone. I'm a person who has crazy anxiety in group settings, which I know is probably a weird thing to say since you see me at every trade show, and that's my job, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so understand that half the time, you know, inside I'm freaking out. Um, yeah, I was never a big fan of it. I mean, I did did all the proper stuff that we're supposed to do, and I I love talking to people one on one. I enjoyed that, but like the whole crazy groupness of things sometimes was always a little weird to me. And the adulation thing is really strange to me too. Like I, I don't I I don't understand it on any level for anybody, whether it's whoever it is. And I've got to talk and play next to some really great players and. It's kind of a common thing. Like nobody has, like Steve I is one of the nicest dudes in the world. Yeah, he seems pure, super chill, pure and simple. I, and I had to be Steve I for Boss at one of the Nam shows when they were rolling out the Steve I tone capsule because obviously they weren't going to pay Steve to do the demos all day. <laughs> so everybody, everybody at Boss went, "Oh, Scott can tap. Okay, good. You're going to be Vi this show." And I was like, "Really?" So I had to learn a couple of Vi things, and Vi showed up to one of the the pre-dawn like we would do the this is when boss was doing the multiple stage demo where we'd all play a song together mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he showed up and i was like oh and so he, he swung by and looked at what the board i, I was because i kind of had a mock-up of a small board of his going into the waza the waza craft head with his tone capsule and he listened to a few quick sounds and it was super cool i gave him a cd he took a picture with me and was just super nice. Like, yeah, dude, it sounds great. Cool. And, you know, one of the few times where I was like, oh, I like I need to be on point. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right, 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 right. Uh, and Yoshi was laughing because Yoshi said he's never seen me be that like giddy <laughs> around someone before. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. You know, like I've gotten the opportunity to interview some of my favorite artists and and, you know, me you know, maybe me like six years ago, maybe not wouldn't have been able to handle it as well. I probably would have been like, um, uh, so, huh, uh, um, yeah. And, and I, I'm kind of glad I got, you know, I mean, I was nervous about my very first interview ever. And that was oh, with, 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 yeah. uh, that was with Ryan McCaffrey from McCaffrey audio. And I wasn't nervous because of him. I was nervous because I didn't know what I was doing. And I guess I still don't really know what I'm doing, but I've been, doing it long enough that it becomes a reflex rather than a uh, something I have to, you know, like just really stress over. 
And so I'm kind of glad I got those out of the way so that when I did get to interview some people I really have looked up to, it it was a lot easier because I was like kind of fangirling inside, but also like, wow, they're just dudes like me. Look at this. They're just regular people. You know, you'll appreciate this better than anybody. So, you know, I did demos for Chase Bliss. I did a couple names for, for Joel. Mm-hmm. And Joel is, Joel's my brother. He's family to me. He's my little brother. I'll protect that man to the end of the earth. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Every ounce of training from my Marine father, I'll kill somebody if they touch Joel. I'm just saying out loud. <laughs> just, just, uh, Joel's much bigger than me, but don't try to bum rush on that or show. Uh, anyways, um, I was doing one of the demos, and I just got done... I forget some magazine. I had to play stuff while Joel spoke and talked about the product. And I was just the, I was just the noise guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Josh Smith comes and sits for a couple hours and plays with us. My dumb butt doesn't know who Josh is in the sense of, I don't realize it's him. I know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. A couple hours I'm sitting there trading licks with Josh talking. I have no idea who it was. And, and Joel and those guys were like, Oh dude, you're so chill with that dude. It's amazing. I mean, how you can just, just be with that guy. And I was like, what guy? And I was just another dude. Right. And they're like, no, that's Josh Smith. I'm like the Josh Smith. They're like, yeah. So Josh came back the next day and I was like, dude, I apologize. I have no idea. I, I know who you are, but I didn't know that was you. He goes, what do you, it, it doesn't make any difference. And we continued to play and jam. And so we, I had a telly, he had a telly, we were swapping guitars and same story goes with Mark Letary. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love this one. I felt like such a moron. So this is the Waza, when Boss had that big, crazy Waza stage, and Tomo would come up every day and play. And Tomo would use, we set up a rig for Tomo right next to my rig. So when, when Tomo would play, we'd slide my rig out and slide his rig in. And towards the end of it, Tomo's like, just leave your board up. I'll put mine next to your board. They're very different. It's not like I'm going to confuse the two. I'm like, all right, cool. Tomo, another dude, sweetheart. So this guy comes up and says, hey, um, Tomo wants to bring up this other guy. Can we use your rig? I was like, yeah. I walked this guy up. Now, again, I'm not realizing it's Mark Letary yet. Mark's in a hoodie and real low-key. And he had just got that, that Grolsch guitar prior to the guitars I was used to seeing him play. So I walk him through my rig. I dial on a tone for him. And he comes back like two or three times during the during the, the week and plays, and we chat, you know, talk about different stuff. I'm like, dude, I dig what you're doing. I never bother asking if he's in a band or anything. A couple weeks later, I'm on the internet looking at stuff. I was like, wow, I know that dude. I was like, oh my god, that's a dude in Snarky Puppy. <laughs> like, oh my, how could I be so stupid? So then I, I I texted him. I was like, dude, I'm sorry, I had no idea that was you. He goes, no, 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 you know. So I'm kind of oblivious to. I, I'm just such a nerd when it comes to guitar playing and stuff. And if somebody's cool and we're sitting and we're playing and chilling, it could be anybody. I, I just, I kind of absorb all of it and, and I'm still a perpetual student. So it's like, Hey, how did you do that with your right hand? Hey, what's that lick? Like poor Josh Smith got worn out before. I knew <laughs> the second day I was, I, I, I didn't bother him. But the first day I was like, yo, what's that like? Yo, what's that like? Hey, wait, well, what if I invert the third here? And Again, something I wouldn't do, I guess, knowing it was him before I knew it was him. I just wore him out. So kind of kind of funny, weird, weird stuff. You know what I mean? It's just that's what makes this stuff fun, I guess. Yeah. And here I am, just the guy that's like, I hit guitar. It makes sound like that's that's about as advanced as I get. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, man, all my I, demos are just like me going womp, 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 wheelie, wheelie, womp, womp. Womp. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Do I even belong here? What's going on right now? I wish you could have seen, like, I had, I didn't get a chance to send you the, the, the hair metal stuff yesterday. I sent you the instrumental stuff, but I didn't get a chance to send you the hair metal. And the hair metals, the, the Kid Havoc stuff is Skid Rowish, Warrant, heavier Aerosmith. It's, it's got a groove to it, but it's still, but it's not poisoned. You know what I mean? It's not, not that stuff. But when I put on an instrumental record, and all my people who knew me from Scott Marks and from playing in Kid Havoc were, look, were like, what is this? What are you doing? I'm like, well, this is what I've always done. I've always been able to play. How do you think I paid the rent? I was playing on studio demos and sessions and jingles and <laughs> all those years in between records. What do you think I was doing? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, 
you know, I, nobody wants to see a 200 pound linebacker looking dude dressed up anymore. It's not how this works. Like, <laughs> you know times I mean? have changed. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I watched too many of my peers, man, try to hang on to that look. And it's like, no, dude, just stop. Just, just please don't, you know, you're embarrassing stuff. It's okay to, to embrace your old look. Like I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm also not going to try to dress, um, you know, I was 120 pounds then and not a healthy 120, you know, I was, I was malnutrition and, and not, to, I did not take care of myself. So like, I'm not going to try to, to be, I don't know, man, too many people hanging on the stuff that they shouldn't let it go. Well, that's what, like we've talked about with a couple of different people in the, uh, and if, if anybody's been to Nam, there's this very specific booth and I, I can't remember the brand of clothes it is, but yeah, yeah. The, and, and it's like all people trying to hold on to that era. And it's kind of weird. It's like, <laughs> you don't see that here. You know what I mean? I only see it in no. now. I don't see it anywhere else. No, because you don't. Because it's not even like, okay, so we did the Poison Tour. And this was 2008. So this is Poison and Rat. And this is Rat Part 2. So it's not really Rat. And this young band from Sweden called Vans of Jenna. Now, they look like that, but they're young kids. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Rat, Rat is kind of adopted. They kind of knew what to do. Poison kind of adopted. They knew what to do. We just went all black and just kind of hung in. But our crowd didn't. Like, you'd go out and look in that crowd, and there was people just squeezing into things that they shouldn't be squeezing into. <laughs> and I'm not making – believe me, this is not fat shaming or anything at all because I'm a much bigger dude than I was. I'm just saying you got to know when something doesn't work anymore. And, and, and speaking of that clothing company, they did give me a vest one name that they came by a booth and gave me a vest that is still hanging in my closet. I don't think I've ever put on. But, um, <laughs> it was a very nice gesture of them uh, to do that. That is nice of them. I, I tried. I did try to wear it once and I was like, dude, I can't pull this off anymore. Like, this is just silly. Well, that's, that's part of it. Like there's things I, that I used to wear them. Like can't do that anymore. It's just, I just can't do it. It's not, it's not in the cards for me. There's some people that look great in, in some of that stuff. And I'm not talking about anything in particular. I'm just saying like, there's right. things that I wore when I was younger that I cannot wear anymore. And, uh, well, you and I have the same hat collection. Oh, yeah, we do. We have a mutual love for the Greer hat. Well, and then we have, ball, have like, I've seen 90% of your baseball hats I have. Just, <laughs> I'm assuming you have a big head as well. Uh, It's like a, it's a medium-sized head. It's not, it's not the biggest. Oh. Yeah. It's a. Mine's a, mine's a bowling ball. <laughs> I, I just have the, my, the shape of my head looks better with a taller hat, I feel like, for whatever reason. Yeah. No, nah, man, my hat's a size eight. I have a big dome. There's nothing I can do about it. And you add the fact that I have nine feet of hair, it does not help whatsoever. <laughs> like, I, I would love to pull the beanie look off, but with a beanie, I just look like an overstretched condom. It just does. It doesn't work. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. You know, it's uh, my wife. The anytime I attempt to pull a beanie, my wife just says no. It's just not. Just stop. And that is, and, you know, that is a good thing that we have our wives to help us because I would be a lost cause. I, you know, I've finally fallen into like what I think I'm going to wear for the rest of my life, but it was, you know, definitely with some, uh, some guidance over the years. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, uh, I, uh, oh, you're right. I'm not 19. I probably shouldn't do that. You want to talk? I'll tell you the most pressure I've ever had at a NAMM show. So I've played, I don't know, 15 NAM shows, maybe more. I have no idea at this point. A lot between winter NAM and summer NAM and various things. And all for different companies. Like there's a few things I do regularly, but it's job season every time a NAM comes around. And so I finally took my wife to a NAM. Uh, not this year, not this winter NAM, the winter NAM before, because she loves Disneyland mm -hmm. and Disney World. And she wanted to go and you know how all this works. Somebody pays for your flight. Somebody pays for your room, blah, blah, blah. They do? What? I, Hold on, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> Who pays? <laughs> it, oh, I guess it all depends. It, it, I've paid my dues enough that I, I get certain things taken care of. And I, Long story short, I managed to, to wrangle in um, my wife. Mm -hmm. So, hey, can anybody, 
you know, I'll go fly cheaper, I'll stay cheaper or whatever. And they're like, yeah, everybody was like super like, like of course. And so I got to bring her out and had this beautiful B&B. I was sharing with a couple of my friends uh, that are with, that are also doing demos. So everybody, you know, everybody knows the gig, but this B&B was the biggest thing I've ever stayed in. It was like a friggin' just my, my room suite that her and I had was bigger than our first two apartments. It was ridiculous. So she gets to go do the Disney World thing every day, and then she comes watch me demo one day because I want her to see what I do. It's, it's tough to explain people. It's tough to explain to anybody what I do. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You go and you stand on the stage and you play a pedal? <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and people clap. I'm like, yeah, most of the time. You know? <laughs> yeah, if I do a good job. Do you talk? Sure, sure enough. Yeah, I'm like, actually, no, most of the time I don't talk. They actually have somebody who does the talking for me. And they're like, wait, that's a job? I'm like, yeah, kind of. So she got to see it. And at that particular one, Vernon Reed showed up. And I'm actually friends with Vernon. I've known, that sounds terrible to say it like that. It sounds like a name drop. I've known Vernon for a bit from New York, from where I grew up. And Vernon's a great dude. He's also a boss guy, hardcore boss guy. And, and so, like, she doesn't see that stuff. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting at home like, hey, I talked to Vernon Reed today, or hey, I talked to Jeff Loomis today. <laughs> it's just like weird, weird randomness. And I don't know, man, it's, it's the best thing, best gig in the world. But you want to talk about humbling. Because let's face it, when you get off a NAMM stage, everybody's going to tell you, you did great. Whether you did good, bad, or otherwise, no one's going to tell you you did bad. Right. It's just not the nature <laughs> of that. Right, okay? right. Your, your wife, on the other hand, is not going to be that person. No, she'll give it to you straight. <laughs> and that's what I no, and that's what I love about it. And luckily I had a you know, if my wife says I had a really good week or a really good thing, I know I play it well. And uh, you probably know but my my studio's in my house. Mm-hmm. Now I don't rent out my studio, it's just for me, but I'll be tracking something and you know, I'll be doing playback and she'll pop in and be like, Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> not that take, <laughs> she, buddy. She's amazing. Try yeah. again. Yeah. But you know what, man? She's such a music lover that it really um it's very, very cool to to have that. You know, I mean we're let's face it, I'm in Palm Beach, I'm in quarantine. We're we're stuck in our house till May fifteenth, other than going to get, you know, groceries or doctor's appointments. So she's she's living with the fact that I literally gutted my studio yesterday. It's all in the living room. I'm actually sitting on the floor inside the empty space right now because I'm deep cleaning it and trying to I, I wanted to go through my pedal boxes because I, I had a grand idea of building like this monsters pedal board for the for the interwebs mm-hmm. for the uh, for the lockdown. And after looking at all that, I just decided not to. <laughs> I was like, no. Like, I was nah. like, I have to wire this. You know what? There's too many other people doing cool stuff, and that's the other thing, man. For anybody listening, there's lots of guys who need money right now donate to those dudes. I've had a lot of people try to hit me up and say, hey man, can we donate? Can you do a live stream, tip cup? I'm cool right now. You know what I mean? I've been smart with some things. I'm okay right now. Go to those guys. Give them stuff. Please. They need it. Help those guys out, man. Those are the, you know, there's a lot of guys who don't have the teaching income or don't have residual income from different stuff of this business. So, so really go help those dudes out, you know, and, and don't bag on them, man. If someone's got the tip cup up or whatever the, I don't know, whatever the lingo is for that. They're doing it for a reason, man. They're not doing it to be greedy. They're, they're doing it for a reason. So really, really try to help those dudes out, man. This is a tough time for a lot of those cats. For sure. For sure. That's a, it's, it's musicians were one of the first people hit by this and not everyone was prepared. Um, or some people were just getting started or, you know, like there's all kinds of different scenarios. And so, yeah, if you've got somebody that you really enjoy, go, go support them. If you can, that's a good message to get out there right now for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for the Florida guys have been hit tough. Cause a lot of these guys just play covers for a living. Mm-hmm. You can make a good living down here. If you just play covers. I mean, I, I couldn't do it, but you can, but now think about it. That was your income. You have no, no insurance, you have no retirement plan, you have nothing, and now you have no gigs because you can't go to it, you can't play anywhere. Right, there's nowhere to play. And and these aren't dudes who maybe put out a few records and have, you know, an odd royalty check coming in here and there. These aren't dudes that have skill sets. These are guys, this Florida scene's weird. A lot of these dudes have been playing these same cover songs for 20, 30 years. 
what are they going to go do? They're going to go drive an Uber or, or uh, something. You know what I mean? Like, they can't even do that right now. That. You know, that's no, that's that's what I'm saying. They don't have they don't have a skill set. So what do they do? I don't know. It. I feel bad, man. I wish I wish I could do more. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, maybe something you can do right now. Uh, we're kind of getting down to the last few, but since you have been around, you've seen so many things and you are in a better position than some other people. Like what advice would you give to people coming up or starting out or even, even if they're, you know, midway in their career, what would you, what, would you, what kind of advice would you give somebody on the, like not on the guitar playing side, we all kind of know what you need to do there, you know, learn to right. learn to be better on the guitar basically. But, on the business side, like what, what advice would you give to somebody? Know your worth is your first thing. You know what I mean? Um, I charge 50 bucks an hour for lessons. That's what I'm worth. I'm not going to drop that price now because there's a virus or I'm not going to drop that price because somebody else online is giving them away for 35. And that hasn't affected my business. It's the same thing when you go to get a gig. If your local gigs are, are off, if everybody gets paid entry level at $400, and you do a couple of those and you've earned your right. And now you're drawing people. Don't be afraid to walk up to that club owner and say, hey, you know what? We're doing this. I know X. Somebody gets 600. I'd like 600. And you start your negotiation. Know your worth. Get paid what you're worth. You know, you will, if you're doing the NAM thing, you'll first, first time you do a NAM, you'll do it for free. Or you'll do it for a hotel room. Or you'll do it for food. And later on, you'll get paid. Or you'll get this. Or you'll get that. But you don't get any of those things if you don't ask. If you expect someone to offer you money for what we do, they never will. The only time you don't ask is for endorsements. If you, if you, go, if you have to ask a company for an endorsement, you're not ready. It, but other than that, as far as getting paid, you have to ask for it. The other part of that, and this is going to be difficult for musicians, but have some back money, man. Be prepared for, for lean moments that are gonna happen you know um we don't have retirement plans i mean my retirement plan is the 35 guitars and the 300 pedals i have (laughs) but right like have a have a backup and um you know don't be like when i'm not doing regular gigs i teach that's a day job whether i want to use that dirty word or not it's a day job teaching for me now granted i teach guitar it's not like it's a it's not a terrible job i'm still have a guitar in my hands but the non it's for me there's a trade off i either go play covers or i teach i'd rather teach but now teaching was the smart move because i'm teaching from skype tomorrow i've got a full book i've got 12 lessons but that 12 lessons is the equivalent of one week of pay mm-hmm. and that's that's one day it's 12 hours of work in one day so even if this wasn't you know the terrible time we're living in i'm still okay and i think that's the big thing man also and this is probably redundant because everything is being self-published, but don't give up your publishing. Don't. The only reason I'm still getting residual checks from Kid Havoc stuff is I own the publishing. I own my songs. I'm not making money off CD sales. I'm making money off streams and licensings and things like that. And, and you know, that that's, that's the key. You know, sure, Jack Harrison's record that I played on, Lauren's record, or whoever record that I played on, I might make a penny off of that, or two pennies residual here and there. But on the other end, you know, if you have songwriting credit and you're publishing and you own it, that's your money. You know, you're the business owner, and you have to be smart with that. So that's you bring up a really good point. Then, since I have no experience with this, I just have theories. Um, you you will you'll have some insight into this. So you see, like pretty major artists sometimes, or artists that were really big back in the day, post things about like they'll like post their check that they got from streaming or whatever, and it's like shockingly small, right? And I know that streaming doesn't pay very mm-hmm. much, and I know that it doesn't pay that much per per stream, but I'm always kind of surprised because I look at that and they're like, oh, I did, I got two million streams and I made, you know. or something. And my theory has always been, well, that's probably because they don't own the, you know, all their rights that is that right. Am I correct in that theory? It's a a combination of things. I mean, um, I just got what's called a YouTube streaming check, which is based through uh, BMI. Mm -hmm. And that was only a, that was $2 and 18 cents. I think Right. it was under three bucks. Um, but 
that was for anybody else who streams something of mine. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and I don't remember the number. It was a fairly low number to stream, but it, again, it's all those little things. You know, I'll get uh, a distro, a distro kid check. I'll get a BMI check. I'll get uh, the YouTube thing. They're all little things. And so, yeah, if, if I sell a full CD on, I don't know, pick a website and someone buys the full CD and the payout is $6 because I own the publishing, I'll get that full $6. Right. Where if I didn't own the publishing, I might only get $2 or depending on whatever the rate is. And then you have your mechanicals and the mechanicals are whoever played on it. So depending on the Kid Havoc CD, you know, Rob, the drummer might get a mechanical, John or singer might get a mechanical, whatever, whoever gets, will get a mechanical, but the mechanical part, you have to set up and kind of chase down a little bit. What happens is guys don't realize they think the mechanicals are automatic. They're not. You, you have to have either VMI or ASCAP and you have to have your stuff set up so that it's kind of like a UPC scanner. Like when you're at the grocery store, they scan a thing and it says sausage and the next one is cereal. Mm -hmm. That's how that, that's how it works. BMI doesn't know my scan number from anybody else's scan number and they don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just, they're, they're a glorified bank in certain instances. So, uh, although BMI has been fantastic to me, I, I might add when, uh, we had a, somebody put out some stuff on us illegally and they, they stepped right in and shut some things down. So hats off to BMI. But yeah, I, I mean, it's just not a check that I would get in 2006. I could live on for a month or two months. A check I get in 2020 or 2020 in 2020. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. A check that I get in 2020, I might be able to buy a bag of groceries and some gas or something else. And, I don't rely on that. You can't rely on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just, I'm proud in the sense of when I look over to my wall, all those plaques on my wall, and I say plaques, they're CDs that I've played on. I have no platinum or gold plaques. I don't mean it that way. But those are things that will live past me and have put a little bit of money in my pocket and just kind of a cool thing for all those idiots who said I was stupid not to go chase hockey or go <laughs> do something else. <laughs> it's, it's just a nice thing to to. And, well, the other thing, okay, this is going to be a little off subject because I know you're asking about this stuff, but the fact that I've met so many cool people in the past 10 years, yourself, Joel, John, whoever, you can go down the list and got to meet, you know, like, I, you got to understand, Robert Keeley was a god to me with pedals. So to not only meet him, but become a friend with him and be on his artist page and have him make me custom things is better than anything you can imagine. And... That to me is more important than a couple of extra dollars on a stream or, you know, a big check. <laughs> I know that sounds dumb and kind of naive, but, you know, or the fact of like, I'll give you a quick version. I met Joel after watching his videos a hundred times in Nashville. And surprisingly enough, he had watched some of my videos. So we had a mutual weird, you know, bro, bro kind of thing. And you know, now, now that dude's one of my best friends, it's like all these, it's just this music, music in general. I don't care what you listen to. I don't care what pedals you play. It just brings everything together. And so I guess the biggest thing I would tell you, if you're getting in this now, in this point, it, well, especially now with the virus to make money, stop it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm already, I'm already planning, you know, cause I, I you know, I don't know for sure, but I don't think there's going to be summer NAM. I don't even think this winter NAM is going to happen. The Dallas show's already been canceled. I mean, I mean, Summer Nam. I guess, what I, like I've said this before, it's probably almost certainly not happening, even though they've not really made a statement. But either way, I'm not going to be there. Like, I don't feel like that's a good move, you know? Well, I'm in a weird spot because a third of my money for the year comes from playing trade shows. Right. Exactly. You know, and that's a big hit. Totally. Um, I, you know, but at the same time, I can't expect my guys to be like, hey, here's your normal fee. Let's go do this thing. Because, you know, Guitar Center just furloughed 9,000 employees. Sam Ash closed all their stores right now. Sweetwater's is closed except for shipping. The, what I do, what I cater to isn't open. Mm -hmm. I can't expect people. 
you know, I mean, I know everybody's joking online. Oh, I can't wait to get my $1,200 check. I'm buying a guitar. No, you're not. You better be buying baby diapers and food, fool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <As> much, <laughs> Seriously. You know, I, I love you all and I appreciate the gusto, but you better be smart. You know, I tell you what I am going to buy. I'm going to buy an AOW, AWOL Nano to go with my virus, but that's the only stupid purchase I'm going to make. Hey, those are cool. <laughs> I got one of those. Yeah. I have the... I have the virus. I need the nano. I think that's going to be my only, only like splurge out of that. Check. The, na- the nano is a great, a great little boost. It really is. Um, well, man, we, uh, we've went for for about an hour, and we haven't even gotten into the uh, the classic questions yet. So I should probably do that. But before we do, sure. before we do that, uh, this is kind of your chance to put up a billboard, tell everybody whatever you want to tell them, whether you got something you want to get off your chest or just. Uh, where they can find you, say whatever you want to say. I got two websites. One is my name, scottgaylor.com, which is all you want to look at old pictures, new pictures, see if I'm coming to your town kind of thing, past clinics, uh, video links and all, and free lesson stuff. And then there's tonejunkiechronicles.com, which is my YouTube page. And I've been slacking on YouTube. My YouTube got hacked, and I lost half my subscribers during the hack. Oh, no. So I've – yeah, I didn't really broadcast that because – I didn't want to do the woe is me thing, but so in that process, I had to demonetize the page and it's been a kind of a struggle to battle it back up. So I've been slow to get back on there because I've been doing more stuff on IG. So if you just look at my name on IG, I do way more stuff on there, but those, those are the easy spots to find me. All right, cool. All right. This is going to be an interesting one for you because you're so close to, closely okay. associated with boss, but what is your favorite okay. boss pedal? Oh, my favorite boss pedal? Easy. I'm gonna go with the first pedal I ever bought my loss my bought in my life, a CE two. Mm. CE two is wonderful. That was my that when I was fourteen years old and I um I had some money to buy a pedal and I didn't know any better. Actually I wasn't fourteen, I was thirteen. Doesn't matter. Um I said I want to sound like Alex Lyson and the dude said, Do you want this? I was like, Cool, take my money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nice. Short and sweet. All right, and here's the big contra- yep. controversial one. This is where things get get a little dicey. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh man, um, I grew up in a, an Irish Italian household. Uh, it's meat, so basically a thin, crunchy crust with all the meats on it. Mm. Just every kind of meat and, you can imagine. Well, like my. My mom's, my, my uncle, obviously, my mom's brother owned a pizza place in the small town we grew up, and he actually put it in the house, so he had a, a oven in the, this big house. Where I grew up, all the houses are big, even though it's a small town. It's a weird thing. They're all like old Victorian houses. So he put a pizza place in the front of the Victorian house, and so he would make us all this, and I was all about the meat. So it'd be like pepperoni and, and sausage and ham and just everything. So it's it's a meat pizza. I like it. Sounds awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. It was interesting hearing all the the old tales, and uh, it was really fun. Oh, thanks man. for doing this. No, thank you, brother. And I love what you do, and um, I think we need more of it, especially now. And if you or anybody has questions, hit me up, man. Um, I'm always open to help fellow gear geeks, nerds, with whatever I can. All right. Thanks, man. So for Scott... All right, brother. For Scott, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Robert Keeley was a god to me. Okay, there you have it, folks. There's another one in the can. And if you would like more, and you would like to support the show, and you would like extra episodes delivered right to your ears every week, well, guess what? You can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, and for just five bucks a month, you get an extra episode every week. And... That includes an extension of this one. So you can hear more of my conversation with Scott, and he tells some crazy stories. And yeah, it's a good time for everyone. All right, everybody. Hope you guys are staying safe out there. Take care of each other. We're getting through this thing. It's going to be it's gonna be great once we're all back at it. So take care of each other in the meantime. Stay clean, stay safe, stay healthy, all that jazz. Talk to you next week. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, 
that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.